Hello and welcome to another edition of School of the Rock, a podcast about faith, culture, and evangelization. My name is Nick Sendovich, joined as always by Father Bobby Blood. Father, welcome. What's going on, Nick? Can you really welcome someone to their own podcast, though? I feel like when you take like a 14-year hiatus like we seem to do on a regular basis, you can. But uh, people have been reaching out. And we also haven't had a lot of time to hang out with each other, so I think this is a great opportunity for us to hop back in and uh, continue to fall deeper in love with the Lord and a greater appreciation for a little uh, friendship. So it's going to be back with you. Your school year is almost over. It's almost over. Time's going by fast. It's a big week. we got prom coming up, so all the planning uh, is in the midst of happening. But uh, yeah, I'm hyped up for summer. What, do you have any fun plans for summer? You know, I have my retreat we go on every year, and then I'm helping out with a camp um, with some youth in Ohio, so get away. But uh, I think it'll be a lot of planning for next school year, so should be good. How about you? You got summer plans? Summer plans. A trip with my girlfriend to Minnesota to see some buddies. Wow, the Twin Cities? Yeah, and then an, and then an undecided trip in August. Nice, you just have free time? Just a, just a free week. Nice. That's awesome. And you turn what? Uh, the big 3 L. I'll be turning 30 this summer. Wow. Wow. Hitting old. The dirty 30, as they call it. <laughs> That's what some people call it. Yeah. But it's been a little bit, so we were talking about how, you know, what, what's something on our heart, on our mind, our thoughts, and, uh, and you kind of had an idea of how we can jump back in this week. Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny because I was thinking... As I was thinking about my week and things I want to work on, or not really my week, but just like this past month, I was like, you know, there are different times in my life where people correct me. And no, I don't like to be corrected. I know you're not a big fan of being corrected. Not a fan. I don't want to, I don't want to talk about a turn, but yeah. I feel like that's your turn, friend that can turn, say Turn, 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 as the birds say. And, uh, and so I was like, you know, one of the things that I realized is that I recoil like so fast when somebody when somebody corrects me and and sometimes someone will ask me to do something either at work or you know a different part of my life that I've already done or that I was already planning on doing and so my first reflex and I think a lot of our first reflexes is just to be like okay I'm going to like fight back. I'm going to tell you I was already planning on doing this. I was going to do it later this afternoon or I've already done this. And you can see X, Y, and Z how I've already done this. And there's this like relentless pursuit of being right or to have somebody else think that I'm right about things. And it's kind of an exa- like, an, like an exhausting way of preserving your image in a certain sense. And I've, and I've known, and I, I don't know if it's probably the Lord or the Holy Spirit has just made that like known to me and made that present to me. And so I, I, I was thinking that we could talk a little bit about learning how to embrace humility. And then you had kind of dovetailed off what I was saying about talking a little bit at some point about the little way of St. Therese. Yeah. Before we kind of get into the nitty gritty, maybe we could kind of just look at what you just shared, right? That sort of personal experience. I think that's the place where good theology begins is that realization of, of where is my humanity meeting Jesus. And so you notice that your first response when being corrected or asked to do something you already expected to do was to recoil. What do you think is the, the foundation of the root of that? What's, what, what's the underlying struggle or vice or what do you think it is that's causing you to recoil? Is it pride? Is it shame? Is it 
I don't feel appreciated? Is it lazy? What's the, what do you think is kind of the backbone of that struggle? Yeah, I think that's a good question. And I mean, it's probably a combination of all of it. And I think a lot of our, you know, wounds and weaknesses come out of, you know, a kind of identity crisis. And we all, all of us have, you know, I think a lot of people that grew up in our generation learning about the faith at some point and heard about like the, like the, the core wounds that we have. And so all of us have different kinds of wounds that stem from our identity as beloved daughters or beloved sons of God. And so at a certain level, when we don't have a full and secure identity as a son or as a daughter of God, we're going to, to compensate for that identity in, in, in other ways, right? So like if I have a secure identity in theory, you know, you know, only will be fully complete in heaven. But, 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 but the more secure identity I have, the, the more that I'm going to be focused on playing for an audience of one, right? Like playing for God. And so everything else I do will be living out of something that I already know, right? So this is not something that I take for myself. I'm not grabbing an identity. I'm not trying to make an identity for myself. I receive an identity. Hmm. That's something that happened because I was born and something that was even deepened in 1992 at my baptism when my identity as somebody part of the family of God became real. And everything else that I do, hopefully, is going to be living out of that identity as a beloved son of God. And so the more fully that I realize and I recognize that God first, as we've talked about this on this podcast before, I think, in First John that God loves us first, before we do anything else, before we respond we have already been loved and we have been known and we have been chosen and we have an identity been called. Known, loved, and called. And so when we don't have that identity, we're going to try to, from God, we're going to try to create it for ourselves. Or when it's imperfect and impartial, we're going to try to do other things to make sure first and foremost that other people like us or that we make our own identity in other ways. Maybe if we're not worried about people liking us we're worried about impressing ourselves or having a certain you know self-respect but which is important in its own ways but the first and foremost thing is to have a secure identity in the god that loves us and the jump that has to be made is uh exactly what you're saying that it's given right because i think we have a tendency to, to grasp like you're saying and i think even that to, to point at that human desire, that human need to be able to um, not fit in a category per se, but but to make sense, make sense of our the way we think about things, make sense in the way we live and the way we hope and desire and, and all those sorts of things that float around in our mind and our heart and our soul. When we point to the fact that God has created us for some purpose himself, all of that starts to make sense, but but broken apart, it doesn't. It's confusing. Why, why do I have so many desires? Why do I have so many hopes? Why can't I have everything I want all the time? Why is it that I feel so insignificant? Why is it that I feel like on my own devices, I'm never enough? And I think it's getting right to the point that you were making that we have to return to the source. We have to return to the one who first created us, the one who, who first called us and serves our, our good and, and calls us to serve his. That's a hard place. That's a humble place to go, though. If we think about those practical places where 
we don't feel like our identity is being reverenced, either by ourselves or other people. That's that's hard to admit. It is. And, and you know, to go back to what you were kind of saying at the beginning, we don't wake up and think, I want to live out of my own identity or I want to create an identity for myself. But what happens is over time, you know, unconsciously we begin to form habits that come out of an idea that we have to be something else other than first and foremost, you know, the identity as a beloved son of God. So maybe first and foremost, we want to find an identity in our career or our work. And so first and foremost, how I think about myself, how I think about what other people, you know, say about me has to do with, you know, how successful I am in my career. Or it has to be with, you know, the admiration of other people, whether it's in my community or whether it's in my family or whether it's at work that I want other people to, you know, think about me, you know, in, in, in a high, in a high, in a high way. And all of these are kind of distortions of the wealth, money, power, pleasure things, you know, there aren't always as amplified as like, I want money, I want power, I want pleasure. You know, but I think in many ways we try to seek those things as even part if we of our don't identity. name them as such. Exactly, which and can make them difficult because we're not thinking about them in those terms. Right? I, don't, I don't feel greedy. I right. feel like I want security. Right. I'm like, well, but sometimes our security is bigger than we need. You know, do you have a roof over your head? Do you have food on your table? There should be a level of gratitude instead of a level of grasping. But I, but I want to make a quick distinction. So when we talk about wanting to be admired or loved by other people. I think there's a healthy and an unhealthy way to talk about this. So do I do I want to be admired for my own sake? Okay, that could get unhealthy quickly. But also, especially in an inner circle, in a group of friends, I think it's important to be able to find a place to be transparent. So let's say you're having a day where you do feel very small. Having a friend you can trust to say, I could really use an affirmation today. Am I doing okay? Right, Those sort of like humble questions to be had. Or even to notice that in your friend, if they need a little boost to be able to say, I notice you do this at work, I notice you do this, you ask these good questions, you're a good listener, whatever it is, being able to name those things, not in a graspy or like exultant way, but instead a way that affirms that identity that's already existed, right? They're not giving permission to the identity, they're not naming the uh, identity into existence, they're reverencing something that already existed. I don't, I don't think that's a bad thing. So it's kind of a distinction we have to make so people don't feel like, well, I want my friends to love me. Well, well, me too. That's human and normal and natural. But it's when that is replacing something greater or we feel like God can't do those things, that's where we kind of get in the weeds. Right, because I think that what you're saying is really true, that it's important to, to have those people in our lives that do love and you know in a certain sense reverence and respect us because those are those are human needs and in a certain way they're participating in 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 the work of god we we, we don't we don't need to think you know we've kind of talked about this in this podcast before too where god's not only going to speak to us in times of prayer or in complete silence having somebody having a friend say something kind or 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 affirm us or bring out something good in us that's, you know, that can certainly be from God and from the Lord. So I think what you're saying is really true, that having friends and having people in your life to, to love you and respect you and affirm you is a really good and a really important thing. And I think what we're talking about then is what happens when 
that gets distorted or when that becomes like um, an absolute good in a certain sense as right. opposed to a gift. Right. The, it's the only thing we latch on to rather than knowing this is where I'm fed and this is extension of the great banquet that Jesus is offering me. Be- because it kind of goes back to what we were saying at the beginning with, with secure attachment to the Lord. If we're, if we're you know, always grasping and always needing certain kinds of things, you know, because, like you said at the beginning, we're not trusting the Lord, that's where we get into trouble. Right. And to maybe zoom deeper into the practicals, so that, that, that place where we feel... Uh, frustration because maybe we're not enough. What does it look like in that moment? How can we handle that in a, in a, in a healthy way? Because those feelings are going to come, right? It's not like, well, I listen to the School of the Rock and my life has been changed. Like, no. Like, some days are still hard and we still are going to have those moments where I don't feel appreciated or I don't feel like I fit in this place and we feel that, that pang of emptiness. What, what do we do with that? Yeah. Yeah, and I, it's a really tough question. I can just speak from at least my experience of yesterday. I was praying. Finally. I know. <laughs> We've been talking about it for two years in this podcast, so yeah. I finally prayed. I call Nick every day. Nick, have you prayed? Well, we got to do a pray. I listen to a podcast. Yeah. Listen to NPR. It's, it's the same thing, right? Um, and I, I was, I'm reading this book very slowly by Dr. Bob Schutz called Be Healed. And I left the book upstairs, otherwise I would read the quotation full. But it was a quotation from Pope Benedict talking about the ability of the Lord to heal us. And in that moment, I was, you know, had one of those minor convictions where I'm, I recognized in myself that I don't always believe that God can and wants to heal me and bring that about. Mm-hmm. And I just had a moment of prayer where I was giving that to him. And I, and I just, I was, it, it, it's, it, it convicted me. It made me realize and remember and think that it is possible for the Lord. So to go to your question about the practical, if there is that moment, it's easy just to say pray. But it's also important to recognize, is there something in us that has a kind of unbelief? Right? Yeah. Is there something in us that doesn't trust that the Lord wants to heal us? And what I love about that experience you just shared is it wasn't one of shame. It was one of guilt, right? I, yeah. I think it's okay sometimes to feel guilty. Like, I feel guilty that I didn't trust him enough. But you didn't feel ashamed and run away from that reality. You, you felt the guilt. Ah, I'm struggling to trust this. I'm struggling to know that the Lord wants to heal me. And you named it. And I think that's half the battle, to be able to say, this is my experience, right? And I think for a lot of folks, especially those who have been living the faith for a long time, they've been maybe trained to push those emotions or experiences down. And I think that's unhealthy. And I think in my, in my role as a priest, especially with young people now, but even in the parish, I'm experiencing people who have been trained to push down experience. That is not of the Lord. The Lord wants us to fully feel and experience where we are, because that's how you grow. That's how you continue to allow him to come to those places. And so I think that that's a beautiful sort of personal example, right? To realize I'm, sh- I'm having a moment where I don't believe that the Lord wants to heal me. And then you immediately bring that to the Lord. You didn't, you, you didn't wait. You didn't make a plan to someday talk to the Lord. You didn't, you know, farm out your issues to your friends and neighbors. It was, I'm experiencing this and I named it to the Lord. That's huge. Yeah, and and it, and I was grateful for it, and I think that 
you know, it's one of those moments when the Lord convicts us of something, even if we weren't always looking for it. It was one of those things where I just happened to pick up the page in the book where I was and I, and I read that thing and I, and I recognized that um, the Lord was speaking to my experience there. And I like to think, and I don't, someone said it better than I did. It was also one of those moments when, when we learn something about ourselves, even if it's something difficult, it's usually good news. So even if we learn something about ourselves that we're not proud of, even if we learn about a sin that we're doing, it's good news because we're having more self-knowledge. And the more self-knowledge we have, the more we can you know, work on allowing the Lord to heal that and touch that part of our life and to learn how to grow. Now, obviously, we can, get self, we can have self-knowledge about things that are unpleasant and then want to go deeper into that sin or that frustration. That's unhealthy. But to the extent that when we learn something more about ourselves that can, that can give us the impetus to go and to, to want to change that thing or to invite the Lord to, to touch us in that place, that's a good thing. So it, it, that was one of those moments for me where like it was like more news is good news about me. Because you're moving. Because right. you're making a move. And I, and I think when we're stagnant, we're moving backwards, right? That's kind of been my family's mantra my whole life. And continuous improvement. If you're not continuing to improve, you're moving backwards. It's a similar idea. But it makes me think of the apostles, right? We're in the season of Easter. And so I just love the sort of playful way that the church offers us the readings in the Easter liturgies because we often have the gospel, which is towards the end of, of, of Jesus on earth with his apostles or even post-resurrection with the apostles. And you really see the weakness of the apostles and then you fast forward to like acts chapter five where they're like we're rejoicing because we can suffer in the name well i'm sorry peter but a few uh, chapters ago you were quote unquote going to go fishing returning to the life that you had prior to jesus's call because you were probably afraid you were probably confused and you were looking for any sort of human comfort so what's the bridge how do we go from that moment of, of Peter sort of, I'm going to go fishing because I'm exhausted and don't care, and I'm putting kind of emotions behind his experience, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, to the sort of confidence they had in the Acts of the Apostles. I think we have that particular moment uh, where they're out fishing, and Jesus calls out, they don't realize it's Jesus, Jesus calls out, and he says, brothers, have you caught anything? Immediately he tells them to put the net over the side of the boat. And John recognizes it is the Lord. He names it is the Lord, but doesn't move. Peter moves. Peter jumps into the sea and swims to Jesus. Was Peter in a great mental spot? Probably not. He's probably stressed. The guy's running this brand new church. But his buddy, his friend, his comrade John was able to name that the Lord is here. And then Peter responded. And that's the place where I think we are in, in these difficult moments of living in our humanity. These difficult moments where we get frustrated or tired. Uh, sometimes we just need our friend to say, it is the Lord. And we have the grace. Every grace we need has been offered to us. If the Lord is asking something of us, he's given us the grace to fulfill it. And so to realize when we look at our life and we look at these moments of stretching or difficulty... They're really just an opportunity for us to double down. To say, I want to be in a place where I can suffer for the sake of the name. I'm not there, but I'd like to be. And then we allow the Lord to kind of close that gap. 
Yeah, and it, it's to kind of go back to where we started from talking about story of a soul. St. Therese's little way, which I think a lot of times can seem kind of like sugary, is in a real way, you know, related to this because St. Therese was in many ways aware of her own faults and shortcomings, but also really and totally trusting that the Lord wanted to use her smallness for his kingdom. And so for us then, in those moments when we feel small or when we're frustrated or when we want to clear our name and, and find our identity in something other than Christ, we ask the Lord in the smallest, in the most imperfect, in the sometimes I when I say it, I don't fully even feel like I'm believing it, but I say it anyways that I trust in the Lord. And that is a sort of way I think that the Lord, you know, helps build up our muscles of trust. And and for anybody who's not familiar with St. Therese or the Little Way, just to kind of put it in a nutshell, young girl desperately wants to be a Carmelite sister, watched her own older siblings become religious sisters, had a longing to be the bride of Christ, and in a lot of ways felt speed bumps, right? But... I, I think the reason so many are attracted to this little nun uh, was because she spoke to the smallness of humanity. We, we think of the, the famous example of the elevator, right? Instead of uh, climbing the big stairs, she wants Jesus to be the elevator that just lifts her to heaven. I think all of us can understand that, like, oh, I, I want to be a Christian, right? I, I want to be with Jesus forever in heaven. But if there's a way that's less painful, why wouldn't you want that, Right. And so there's a humility in that to realize like, yeah, I, I want all the graces and the beauty and the goodness that Jesus promised, but I want it in an easy way. And, and, and that could seem like childish or cheap, but grounded and foundationally, it was just a trust that Jesus would provide. It's not just a, you know, whatever, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call in sick today and trust that Jesus is going to make up the difference. Jesus does make up the difference. So instead of, you know, not doing the things we're called to do, to do those things with great love, but to realize we don't have to go above and beyond what he's asking. It makes me think of, um, recently I did a parish mission and I, and I worked with kind of the virtues. And, and, and one of them that I've continued to just kind of mull over is the virtue of diligence, which uh, kind of the church defines as um, doing a spiritual good that has been entrusted to us, right? So doing the good things that have been asked of us, two sides of that coin we could struggle, right? We could do too little and say, I don't want to do that thing that's very hard. Or where I think a lot of people, especially people who listen to like Christian podcasts, a bunch of nerds, what, what they might do is they put more on their plate than Jesus is asking. And so I think what Therese is saying in the little way is, I want to do what you're asking, Mother, Mother Teresa, with great love, but I don't need to break my back if that's not what you're asking. And I think that's fair. And so to bring it back to our experience, how, how do you see that working? So in a lot, it's 2022, we're not little French nuns. What does this look like in, in a normal, you have like a real people job. What, what does that look like in, in your relationships? Yeah, I think it's really funny because St. Therese was a, you know, cloistered or semi-cloistered nun. I, don't, I think they were just mostly cloistered as Carmelites. 
And she's like the patron, one of the patron saints of missions, which just always makes me laugh because, right, she's cloistered and, you know, missionaries are going out. And so I think to the extent that we become missionaries at our jobs is really, really important. Whether that be doing somebody else's dishes at home at work, whether that be complimenting somebody else on the good, like you were saying, affirming somebody else on the good work that they were doing, somebody that we struggle with in our, in our work, you know, because it's easy to, like, you know, the Lord said, it's easy to love those whom you love because even the pagans do this or something right, like that. Right, right. Easy to do good for someone that you already love. Right, so to, to say the thing about somebody that you're not as crazy about, not to make something up, but to find the good in some in something or someone, I think is the small, small, small ways that we build up the kingdom. And it might not feel small. like Even though we call it like the small way because it's sort of a daily sort of shift, it also could feel like a big feat. And if it does, we invite the Lord to kind of be a part of that, right? To, to provide the grace we need. Um one sort of thought with that is uh, many of you, probably us as well, you might feel like you making a little extra effort is not a big deal. You might feel like it's not going to make a huge difference. You're unimportant. You might feel like you're small and, and, and nobody's going to notice that you're going above and beyond. And maybe they won't, right? Maybe only the Lord can see what you're doing. And that's beautiful in and of itself, but... By the nature of who God created each of us to be, you can make a difference. And the communities that we find ourselves in, whether that's work or friendship or your parish family, whatever communities you find yourself in, since the beginning of time, God knew that you would be in that place. He knew that you'd be there with your struggles. He knew you'd be there with your sin. He knew that you'd be there with your weakness. And yet he knew that by placing you in that place, in that community, he was doing something good. And so if you feel like, well, I don't have the energy to take a step out in faith, I don't have the energy to um, to try again because you don't feel like it's going to matter. This is the church. This is the faith we profess. If all of this is true, if, if the story... If all of this is true, if this faith we profess is true and then God is providing for us, then your little yes to provide for your community is not small. It is the hand of God. And, and so it's worth taking that step out in faith, even if it seems scary, even if it seems like it's, it's not worth it. It is. It is. And so we, we want to affirm one another and, and, and we want to build up this family of faith that we have because it's the little things where we check our pride at the door and say, I'm all in. I want to be a part of this and I, I want to make the world a better place. And I think uh, we look to the saints who've come before us and it is possible, even if it seems like daily we have the same struggles in and out. And on that note, why don't we cap the show off our triumphant return? And as always, why don't we say, what's your recommendation? So I'm totally something di- totally different. So I'm totally different. Um, so we're getting back into summer, and I was looking back at old YouTube videos I've created through the good COVID time. Remember COVID? Barely. That was, that was like crazy. Um, I'm glad that's over. <laughs> Uh, it's not over. People were sick. We're praying for you, but you know, we're free uh, finally. Uh, but I watched a video. Me and another priest buddy of mine, Father Chuck Warren, made a uh, s'more in a cup video for a Boy Scout retreat. I now I remember that. And 
One of the lines from that video that I, I listened to just cracks me up is Father Warren makes a comment that s'mores are no fun alone. It's just a communal thing. Like s'more, very few people are making s'mores on their own. I'm going to go out and I'm going to build a bonfire by myself yeah. and make s'mores. You can make them, there'll be people hitting the, 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 the Reddit feed about this podcast about, oh, I make uh, s'mores in the microwave. Okay, those aren't, those are crap. Real s'mores, fire, charred marshmallow. That's always a communal activity. And hopefully the weather's getting nice. And so my recommendation is make a friend and make a s'more. Yeah. I've never thought that you don't make s'mores alone. If you do, then you're in a, then you're in a really dark place. You're in a dark place. If you're out there, just kind of... I, uh, I went and bought wood. I built my bonfire. And, and Frank, I live alone. I do have bonfires alone, but... I don't fuss with the graham cracker on my solo. Okay? No. That's, you wait until your pals come over. So yeah, you do. Make a friend, make a s'more. Make a friend, make a s'more. That's a recommendation. All right. As always, thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Father Blood, great to be with you. This you do.